biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was just in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel Gu, and I'm alone on the desk today because Jacob is actually at home and snuggled up when it's raining and gloomy. And Jacob, how you doing? Well, I know it's not. It's snuggled up is the top of word, but I mean, I'm uh, <laughs> doing okay. I'm just working out a lot of stuff and have to have a 4 a.m. flight to catch tomorrow morning, so I just Oof. have to. You might as well just not sleep. And go, to, go to bed early like a normal human being today instead of, you no, know, I feel, like, I feel like if your flight is that early, you might as well just, like, not sleep and just roll it out so at that's night. What I did. That's, that's what I did last time because I had a 5.30 a.m. flight at, um, for South by Southwest, and I just didn't sleep. But I found that really dangerous. Like, I, found, I like, had to, like, basically wake myself up while driving to the airport, so. I'd probably just kind of go to sleep really, really early this evening. <laughs> like that probably is for the better. Um, so where are you headed? I'm headed to Austin, Texas again, but for DreamHack this, this week. So Yep, we got DreamHack Austin starting um, April Friday. 27th. Oh, 28th, yeah. excuse me. Yes. Um, it's uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the event. So. Yeah, and you're going over the cover CSGO, Street Fighter, and um, Smash Bros. Yeah, anything else that's kind of interesting. Like, there's a lot. DreamHacks are really big events to chew on. Um, there's a lot of different events. Um, there's even, like, Guilty Gear and Brawlhalla this year, which are kind of more like side events than rather big events. But, yeah, I think my, my main focus is for the week will probably be Street Fighter, Smash, and Counter-Strike. Well, so. let's, speaking of Counter-Strike, let's talk about Counter-Strike. We have four teams heading in this year. We have two groups. The first group, Group A, has... Hellraisers, Gambit Esports, Heroic, and Luminosity Gaming, and Group B has G2 Esports, Cloud9, Immortals, and Team Liquid. Um, before we dive into things, between both groups, which one looks like a bigger challenge to you? Uh, so I think Group A is more competitive because I think Hellraisers has looked really good, even though I don't really expect them to make it out of the group. They've looked good recently. I think Gambit and Heroic are both phenomenal. Um, Heroic's probably the second best damage team in the world, and I would say Gambit actually, uh, I mean, they're primarily Kazakhstanian at this point, um, but I think that, the, like, if we're counting that as the CIS region, I think they're probably better than Navi. Um, they're very close to Navi in, in terms of skill. They're both, they're both really good teams. So I think Group A is uh, a lot more competitive than Group B, whereas Group B is basically G2's group to win. Um, and then it's kind of the battle between two North American teams and uh, the second best Brazilian team in the world. Um, right, right. Let, let me so. ask you this then. Um, for Group A, it seems pretty clear that, well, at least I think Heroic and Gambit are going to make it out. But I feel like what we don't know is who's going to have the first or second seed. So who do you see getting the first seed out of Group A? Um, my vote would be on Gambit. Um I still really like Gambit. I'm still like really high on Gambit based off of uh, previous performances and, and kind of how they've looked and proven that you know their time at Cologne last year was not really a fluke. Um, they've just been pretty consistent and solid over the last few tournaments um, and regained the legend spot too uh, at the E-League Major. So I certainly believe that they're good. I, it looks really good too. So it is hard to, to say. I think 
I do think that Hellraisers could maybe pull up an upset. Um, especially because I think Roosters are best of one, which makes it a little bit uh, or best of one until the Decider series. Um, so I believe that you know it really depends on how it all shakes out. But I I don't know. It's hard to to tell. I think Luminosity is the one team in this group that doesn't really have a lot of chance. But I think everybody else kind of does. But I would I would say Gambit probably gets that first. Right. So the matchup is between the first matchup is between Hellraisers and Luminosity, and then the second matchup is Gambit and Heroic. Um, and then every matchup after that is determined on who wins. Um, who do you think is going to take the win right. between Hellraisers and Luminosity? Hellraisers very easily. And then um, Gambit and Heroic. Uh, Gambit, but I think will be close. Uh, it really depends on the map. Um, that shakeout, how that would go, that would be Hellraisers versus Gambit, which I think Gambit wins. Uh, and then it would be Hellraisers versus um, Heroic, because Heroic would probably beat Luminosity. They should beat Luminosity. So, and then that one would probably go to Heroic. Um, but that's gonna, that would be a best of three, and that would be very close. Um, right. So, Let's yeah. move on to Group B really quickly, because... Um... It seems pretty clear that you've already mentioned this before, but G2 is probably going to make it out as the first seat. But what is kind of up in the air is the second team isn't really surefire. And it's a pretty, pretty big toss up between Cloud9, Immortals and Liquid. And um, let's run through all three of them and check out their win conditions. So what does Cloud9 have to do in order to get that second seed? Um, they just have to follow their strengths. Uh, this past weekend, they did not have Skadoodle with them. Uh, they had Swag. Um, the former Ivan Powell player, who's extremely talented but is banned for life from most events, uh, most events, including Dreamhack events. Um, so I believe Skadoodle will be back with them this week. I've not seen any indication that that is not the case. Um, so for Cloud9, I think it really is clear the win conditions. I think that from a raw talent perspective, they have Automatic and Stewie, um, who are both two of the best players uh, in North America. Um, and yeah, I, I really do think it's just kind of ironing out kinks that they've had in the, the armor. Uh, they certainly could do it. I'm not expecting them to, but it's not impossible because it is a little bit more of a toss-up once you, uh, once you, you know, basically choose that G2 is going to get out of the group. Right, and what about Immortals? Uh, Immortals is all about consistency. Um, their team is really good. Uh, they got Fnatic not too long ago, and Fnatic is probably... FNX is probably one of the best uh, Brazilian players overall, um, but he wasn't working very well in his former team, SK Gaming. Um, so those two teams made a trade back in January. Yeah, January. Um, so I certainly believe that uh, certainly believe that they could do it. I think it's just all about consistency. I think that if M1 or Kenny uh, is their if he's playing well, uh, I think that's really important for the team because he's a good offer, but he's just got to show consistency. So I believe he has a lot of their win condition. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Immortals is a great team, and they're the person that I, I picked to get out second in the group. But it's certainly, like you said, pretty pretty competitive among these three. Yeah, for sure. And um, the last team, Team Liquid. Okay, so Team Liquid is rebuilding um, from the core that they had for a while. Uh, they've obviously kept... Nitro and Elige, who have been on Liquid for what seems like an eternity, but really isn't. Um, they are their stable, uh, stable folks. And then, obviously, um, JDM has been, been around for a little bit as well. Added Stanislaw after the E-League Major. Um, and then they also added uh, Twist 
very recently, formerly of Misfits and TSM. So uh, Twist is really good. He's 17 years old. Um, Holy crap, player, really? Um, with a lot of potential. Wow. Um, and then also Stan as well is a very good in-game leader, probably one of the better current in-game leaders in North America. Um, so I certainly think this could be the moment, and from the people I've talked to, this could be the moment that Liquid shows that they're a pretty pretty good team. Um, it just comes down to, you know, how much practice they've got with Twist, which they've only had one event, which was CS Summit last weekend, uh, from an offline perspective. And then also uh, their strategy and the kind of work that Zeus, as their coach, has done uh, to prepare them for this event. So I, I think that uh, Liquid's more of a, a team that I look at that will take a little bit of time to iron everything out, but they certainly have the potential to be the best North American team. Wait, let's talk a little bit more about Twist because um, when you said he was 17, I was kind of, I kind of, like, like my jaw dropped because he's so young. And um, I guess a lot of us don't might not really know him outside of TSM. So how can he make um, Liquid's roster more dynamic? Um, he's really strong uh, and kind of, he reminds me almost of Stewie, uh, I would say, except Stewie. You know, Stewie was attacked a lot more for behavioral issues, and I've never really heard that kind of storyline with this. I think he's very good from a raw talent perspective and really is going to require uh, the leadership of a veteran player, uh, which I believe Zeus, uh, their coach, has been around for ages. I think he can certainly provide that to to Twist. I certainly think that Stanislaw can um, assist in that as well. But I think Zeus is, is very crucial to his to Twist's development as a player. Twist was arguably, uh, but I'd say pretty, him and Sick were probably the best two players in TSM uh, after Automatic left. Um, so I certainly think that uh, he has the potential to be great. I think it's just really working with experienced people, and I think that Zeus provides that opportunity. Right. So, okay. Then let me ask you this. Which team will make that surprise Dark Horse run towards the final that no one sees coming? Mm, that's a good question. Out of both groups, I yes. would probably say Hellraisers. Um, Why is they that? Have the most potential, they have the most potential to do so. Uh, as I said earlier in the podcast, they are certainly very well-rounded, and also um, they're very well-rounded and have performed better recently. Um, so they, they have a chance if they can beat Gambit or Heroic, um, depending on how things shake out. Um, I think that Hellraisers has the potential to beat everyone in Group B, with it being very close with G2. Um, but I think they have the potential, if they make it into the bracket stage, to beat everyone, uh, all the other three teams that could potentially make it out. But they, you know, that clearly depends on matchup. Um, but yeah, I, I would probably give Hellraisers props if, if I was to choose someone that I did not predict to get out of group stage that could make it out of group stage and make a bracket run. Okay. So let's jump into my favorite part of the podcast, which is we predict the final winner of the tournament. And um, I'll go first. And I think G2 is going to win it, honestly, because they're the strongest team heading in. They're the most dynamic, the most consistent. And I would honestly be shocked if they didn't win the whole thing. What about you, Jacob? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I think that G2 Esports uh, is certainly one of the highest upside, I think, out of every single team here. They are the French, quote-unquote, super team. Um, and I, I really do 
want to give them a lot of credit. I think that they have all the best French players in the game. Um, they certainly have some of the most experienced players, people like Shocks, uh, and they also have some of the most talented players across the board. Uh, on paper, they are the best team at the tournament. It's really just an execution thing at this point. But if everything goes right for them, which I don't really see any reason that it wouldn't, I would expect them to do well um, and win the tournament. And if it's not, if you see, I would say it's Gambit. So. All right, awesome. Well, for more esports content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports. Jacob's going to have a really sick DreamHack Austin preview for you guys tomorrow. Be sure to check it out. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about Overwatch Apex Season 3 with Steven Yugen. Welcome back to the ESPN Esports Podcast. Now that we're done with Austin, let's talk about Overwatch Apex Season 3. We have Steven with us. Welcome, Steven. How are you? Good. How's it? Uh, we're great. Jacob. Do you want to answer Steven's question? Doing well. All right. Um, so the interesting thing about Overwatch Apex is, well, first off, all the matches are best of five, including the group stage matches. Long live the BO5 format. Um, three awards are awarded for victory. Zero points are awarded for defeat. And if teams are tied in points, it'll be broken by a map score, followed by head-to-head results and additional tiebreaker matches. Wow, that was a mouthful. Um, and then the top two teams from each group advance to group stage two, and then the top two teams from those groups advance to the playoffs. And Overwatch is a relatively new esport, and Steven, you've been following it since season one, so what's the change been like over time? Uh, the change has been pretty interesting. Like they've, uh, It was pretty like fresh when it first came out. Like we, No one really knew what to expect other than um, Rogue and Envy doing relatively well once they came in as foreign teams that were invited. And then uh, Lunatic High just came off a uh, second finish at APAC, which is the Chinese League. They lost to, to Rogue, in fact. And when Envious won the whole thing, people were pretty surprised. Like, because usually in the history of Korean esports, the foreigners don't usually win. They get They can get pretty far, but they don't usually win. Of course. But as each season has kind of gone on, they've introduced some really, really fascinating rules that kind of like, I wouldn't say gut groundbreaking, but like they're really good changes to see. What kind of rules? For example, um, from season one to season two, they implemented a rule where each team could call a um, one tactical pause each. So it's like a timeout in, you know, traditional sports. So in between maps, it's like in best of five. You can each team gets one tactical pause. The coach and the analyst get to walk into the booth, and for three minutes they get to talk to the players. Like if they're in mental state and need to take a break and kind of, kind of breathe or change up the strategy, etc. Um, and then from season two to three, they just announced a rule recent, like or like two days ago or something, that they'll allow teams to rotate one player in, in only once during one set. So, like, from map two to three, if one player is not doing so well and they need, you know, to switch out, like, one DPS player for another, they'll switch, in, they'll switch that player in. Interesting. Um, actually, so, let's talk about the first point a little more before we move on. Um, sure. So, now that coaches can step into the glass box that they all sit in and kind of talk strategy in the middle of the game, um, how does that change the gameplay and how does that change, like, teams' play styles? Um, I guess, like, if you compare it to, for example, like, earlier, like, League of Legends, like, you kind of, like, went from game one to five without, like, a lot of breaks in between. But, like, if you call in a tactical pause, then, I, I guess, like, like, for example, 
if you're down 2-0 in a series and then you're just like some of the players are just visibly frustrated. For example, uh, last season, uh, one, of the, one of the players on runaway to finish second in overall, Kaiser, he gets frustrated relatively easy. Like people have made jokes about it, whatever. And at that point, it's really important for the coach to be able to come in and be like, hey, like we're doing fine. Just change, like do this instead. And that has really helped some sets um, stop being a sweep and go on to game five. Even if they don't necessarily win the whole thing, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a reverse sweep, but it does kind of reset like emotional tensions a little bit. Right. Um, so let's move on to the group stages for season three. We have... I'll just list the teams really quickly. Actually, never mind. There's so many teams in each group. Um, so if you wanna if you wanna look at the group stages, you can check that out online. Um, but from Group A, we have Lunatic High, who's one of the best teams. But they seem to be one of those teams that just can't escape controversy. I mean, we had scandals involving underage minors allegedly, in-game mishaps, and I mean, this team just kind of looks like a mess from the get-go. And most recently, we had Munchkin leaving and joining Laser Kittens. Um, love the name of that team, by the way. Uh, I mean, what do you make of their team heading into Season 3? Are they still the favorite contenders? Um, I think they're still the favorite contenders, but be- just because that new rule got implemented where you're allowed to switch in a player in the middle of a set, I it's hard to say. Like It's a new, it's a new rule. Teams will have to learn how to actually implement that rule properly because once you i think you've only you can only swap it once like for, that's what that's what i uh, how i'm interpreting it so if you if you make the wrong swap you might have just lost the series so i can't say that rule will make a big impact this season but it could okay and because of that rule a lot of the korean teams have upgraded their rosters from six men to seven or seven to eight Stephen, what do you think about the the two uh, international teams, Rogue and NBS, that are invited to Apex this season? NBS is going to be—it's actually going to be weird. Um, I'm actually not sure who was replacing Internet Hulk, one of their older players. Um, uh, Internet Hulk is now an assistant analyst for Rogue, so because they're swapping in someone new, that kind of makes them an unknown entity. They still have to rebuild their teamwork. But it's possible to work out really well. For example, when they swapped out, um, they swapped in Mickey. They, in season one in Apex, they weren't the favorites to win, but they got they got Mickey to join their team, and then Harry Hook moved to deep from Lucio to support to to DPS, and then they ended up sweeping the rest of the tournament. So who knows? They're kind of unknown just because of that. Um, for Rogue, I think Rogue is really interesting looking at Apex because. After they lost at Apex Season 1, they swapped out, a, they had a huge roster overhaul. Like, it was mostly just European players, but now they have a, an entirely French roster. And since um, I am Gyeonggi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, um, Gyeonggi was over in China, I think. I think South Korea. I probably butchered it. Yeah. <laughs> um, after they lost that, since December, mid-December to now, they've actually never lost a set. They're undefeated for the last for months, essentially. And that was mostly through like smaller online tournaments, so like Alien where monthly melee and stuff like that. So that's not to downplay that they are undefeated, but this is going to be a real test of how well this roster is actually working together because they're going to be competing against all these really big teams in Korea right now. Yeah, I mean, it they're in a group with Lunatic High and Kongdu Panthera, and 
I mean, I feel like from that group, you're going to see Lunatic High and Kongdu make it out, like, without question. I mean, they're in the same, Rogue's in the same group as uh, Lunatic High and Panthero, so it could be close. So what do you think about the return of Taimu, who is supposedly coming back in for Internet Hulk? Oh, um, well, I guess, like I said, it's kind of hard to guess, just because, like, team synergy is, like, really important in Overwatch, and how well you communicate, like, Oh, because um, he's going to be coming for Internal Hulk, who is the... Actually, I don't, I don't even know how it works from team to team. But being able to communicate when the enemy team has their ultimates up is extremely important in Overwatch because that makes or breaks your push, depending on what map it is. If it's a two-capture point map, you need to know which uh, heroes have already used their ultimate, which ones might already be up. And I don't know which, if Internet Hulk did all of that on Envious or not, but he was the support, so I'd like to assume so. A lot of traditional roles in the esports teams. So, like I said, that's untested completely. Okay, so um, let's move on to Group D really quickly because I want to talk about Meta Athena before we wrap things up. Um, they're a really strange <laughs> and unorthodox team, and I guess if you could describe their playstyle in one word, what would it be? Um, I think the easiest way to describe Meta Athena's playstyle is that they break the map. And no, I think what I, said I, what word, I mean by that is that there have been times, like on Dorado, um, the first phase of the payload, they couldn't push the cart over the underpass really well because it was really easy. To, it's easier to defend. So instead, they just went around the long way use the main wall to boost the entire team onto the rooftops. And you're not actually allowed to, you're not really supposed to be on the rooftops on the side. The only people who can actually go over it is Fermo and Mercy, she can follow her. So like being able to find which parts of the map you're allowed to traverse in an incredibly unorthodox way means your strategy opens up tenfold because they, 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 um, they boosted everyone over the, 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 the roof. And they just completely flanked them in between the cart and the team. So, like, where, where does the, the defending team actually go? They, they have to fight head on. They can't just poke and back off because then if they back off too much and they're behind the cart and then it's just an easy push. So it forces a fight. And no, one's, no one else in Apex has really broken the map in that regard. Right. So would you say they're one of the clear contenders for the title at the end of Season 3? It's hard... I, I don't know. I, I think they're one of the favorites for sure. They um, they looked unstoppable. They had they had an incredible win streak last season from Challenger to Apex, and they lost in the semifinals. Like they looked quote unquote. I guess they like, figured out like people kind of fig- like figured out how to dismantle the team, or they just didn't have enough experience, maybe. Right. Um, so me, I th- I would say they're they're one of the favorites for the title, but not as strong as they were with all the hype behind them last season. Right, and what about Runaway? I mean, they were so close, but they just missed out <laughs> on the win over Lunatic High. <laughs> uh, I think they have a bigger... They probably have a bigger fan following in, in um, the Western audience and the South Korean audience because the Lunatic High fan base is, like, already so strong. Right. Um, they had they have a pretty great story because, like, they almost, um, they almost lost um, their spot in Apex after season one. And then they requalified through the promotion tournament season two, and they didn't look so hot. And then Runner, who Runner is the guy that everyone kind of knows, who you know he broke the ceiling in the the booth when he celebrates. He's the guy who <laughs> hypes up his team. He's he's actually the dad of the family, and I mean that in both ways. One, he he looks out for the emotional welfare of his teammates, 
And two, he's actually a dad. He has a daughter and a wife. So he, he is the mature figure on that team, and he's kept this team together. And he took a team that almost failed twice and took it to the finals. And I can't imagine them not being as strong this season either. So they're my personal favorite for the title, if they can beat Muntik High, if they meet again in the finals or something. All right. Well, I think that's about all the time we have left. But um, thank you, Stephen, for joining us and giving your insight on Overwatch. Mm -hmm. And thanks for inviting me. Course. And if you want to check out more esports content, you can go to ESPN.com slash esports or you can follow us on Twitter at ESPN underscore esports at Rachel Youngu at Jacob N. Wolf and Stephen. What's your ad again? Uh, Stephen Noogs. So yep. Stephen spells with a V and then N O O G S. Yep. Follow Stephen if you want to catch up on Overwatch content. We're out. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.